You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the For Love and Land podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. Each week, we're interviewing guests from across America. They all have one thing in common. They all are tied to the land. So if you're like us and you love all things land, welcome home. All right, guys. This is your host, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. We're headed down the road today uh, for another consult because um, it's that time we're of the year. West. Finally. Yeah, we've, I, we've I, been I, east, I, north, south, all over the place this spring, but really haven't hit much west of Springfield, Missouri. Um, actually, this month and next month we'll be doing a couple of them. Yeah, so it's kind of nice to see some red dirt underneath these tires now. I love, love, love. Uh, I like going east, but there's something about west, um, especially the Flynn Hills of Kansas or southern Kansas, uh, western Kansas and then Oklahoma. a big part of Oklahoma because the native landscape is pretty well intact. Um, there's a lot of native grasses, a lot of rolling prairie, um, kind of wood, oak woodland. Um, fire is still a huge part of the ecosystem. A lot of grazing uh, of opportunities. landscape out here, a lot of grazing. It's just a really, really awesome um, Don't landscape. Don't say it. Diverse landscape. And so... Uh, yeah, it's plus. It, it plus feels they good encourage to be back. you to drive eighty miles an hour. That's kind of yeah. nice. Yep, and uh, just get so where you're going. Get it's off the super road. awesome. But you know, we just saw something going back down the road, uh, just uh, back back a little ways, a few miles back. You mentioned you looked and you said, "Oh, there's Bermuda," and it kind of made yep. me chuckle in my head, like somebody planted Bermuda out here, a non-native that's going to require fertilizer and soil amendments when there's native warm seasons everywhere. Yep, which require none of the above, none of the fertilizer and um, liming. Planting, liming, and, and it grows a lot taller. Probably can't graze it in the dirt. It takes no. a different management style. But different at the same time, system, it's like, why would spreading. you do that? It's foolish. Well, I, there's probably maybe a logical reason in their in their operation, but it's still it's like okay, you've got all these. You know warm what the season, logic was in that operation. Grasses. Is I like to overgraze, and I can't overgraze my native, so I'm going to plant something that can be grazed into the Poss- dirt. Possibly. That may have been it. it. It's frustrating. Another frustrating thing is stopping off at McDonald's in, uh, on I-44. Just as, a, just as a restroom break. As a restroom break, we stopped at. I, I Not for forage eaten, reasons. I haven't eaten <laughs> McDonald's in years, but um, we stopped there, and right there in the Right there in the landscaping is shiny silvergrass that was planted. Um, ornamental but highly invasive parts of the eastern United States are just getting taken over by Chinese silvergrass grass, and we're planting it out here as a stinking ornamental. Do to do to do. It just—it's so don't so. Uh, I don't know. Backwards at some of the stuff we do. Counterintuitive. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful opportunities for for native plantings, um, bunch grasses that could tell a story. You know they're adapted to this range, to this area. Yet, yet we're going to do something different. Yeah, it doesn't cool. make any sense. Um, so, in this week's uh, for Love and Land podcast, we do have eight ways to make money on your property. Um, 
and make your property more productive so therefore you can put more work or more money into improving the farm or just put more money in your bank account but we do have some announcements but before wait, there's we more. get started a um, couple events coming up for us uh, March 16th so it'll be this Saturday really soon we will be at Columbia, Missouri for the 6th annual Missouri Quail Forever Pheasants Forever State Habitat Convention that's right we'll be speaking on new ways to bring more people into the outdoors. And the importance of how diverse nature is and the way that we can highlight that, educate people on it, that then brings them into the fold of managing, conserving, hunting lands. It's not, you're not always going to get everyone, capture everyone by sticking a shotgun in their hand. You know, maybe it's beekeeping, maybe it's planting pollinators, maybe it's planting shrubs, whatever talking that in, in different angles so that'll be cool that that we don't this will be the first time we presented on it um but we're excited to do it because something we're passionate about something that we think that has certainly a long um long impact you know for bringing people into the fold of habitat managers land managers next one is the next saturday <coughs> march 23rd matt will be in canton dan clayton dayton Dayton? Well, it's just this outside. It's, ju- it's just outside of Dayton. Okay, are, this is Clayton. Yeah, it's Clayton, Clayton Ohio, uh, Miami Valley Career Technical Center, six eight zero one Hokey Road, Clayton, Ohio four five three one five. That's the address to the event. It's a deer management workshop, and with the local QDMA branch there. Yeah, I'm looking for the name of the branch. Um, Mid Valley, maybe. Uh, I, I don't quote me on that. Yeah, but um, right there in Central Ohio, talking all things deer. It's a full day, lunches provided, um, and I it's see a free oh. seminar for for folks to join in. And there'll be other speakers yeah. there as well. Ohio Division of Natural Resource Deer Program Manager will be there, um, as well as deer biologist Clint McCoy, State Forester, uh, another guy that's a state. Forrester, I won't even attempt to pronounce his last name, <laughs> and private lands biologist. Also, tracking deer movement and blending timber and wildlife management, so, uh, and establishing native grasses and forbs. So there's a ton of information, man. Look at how red yeah, that dirt is here. And, just dark, dark red. Uh, we're, we're not far from Oklahoma City. Just on City, the east side of OKC. Uh, but, man, that dirt is red. And anyway, so that's an, another event. And then... Um, Early bird, we believe early bird registration is still up for the QDMA Deer Steward 2 course in Gallipolis, Ohio, September 14th through the 17th. I think it's 13th through 13th 16th. through the 16th. Yep. Um, Hosted at the Hogan, where you've heard Todd Watson past podcast talk quite a bit about um, his pond, his lake, Lake Mickey, and other things. It's going to be hosted at that property. So super special property, one uh, one we've had uh, a fun hand in helping Todd along on his way. So that'll be a good event for everyone to be at. And QDMA staff will be there as well and tons of like-minded people. That's right. And so it's one of those that um, you'll have the opportunity to get some great information education on habitat deer management but you might even catch a really really nice bass out of the lake that's it's very possible if time is allowing um so with all that said let's go ahead and jump right into this week's for love of land podcast brought to you by redneck hunting blinds oh loving them if you're on the market for a world-class Hunting blind, go check out redneckhuntingblinds.com um, um, for a whole slew of different type of blinds. All right, Matt. We're talking how we get this question a lot, and, and it really comes down to in, a, in an explanation of why we're doing this podcast. Rarely do you find a piece of ground that can be managed with, with an endless budget. 
Yeah. Um, there's there's always that, a limiting resource. That goes from private ground to public ground, and that kind of ties in with last week's podcast with Tyler Ross talking about public grounds. Is we need to a lot of us need to have to find ways to make money so we can spend money. Makes sense, right? Um, growing up, if I didn't have money to whatever, buy a truck, buy put gas in my vehicle. By, by golly, we didn't plant food plots. And it's kind of that same way. You planted food plots with the pickup truck? No. <laughs> I had to buy the seed. I know. Um, <laughs> I planted food plots. I've seen crazier things By before. hand. Um, and anyway, so so there's a lot, of, a lot of times where we have to discuss how to make money on the farm so therefore we can spend money to make the improvements. And so this is a brainstorm session. For you guys, uh, as you're listening to this podcast, and we're going to list out not all of them. And I no. would encourage you guys to, if you have found a way, shoot us an email at info at landandlegacy.tv and share with us or on our Facebook page when we post this about ways that you've found to make money on your farm. Um, so there's a pile of deer right there. Um, eight ways. Right there Number one, because a lot of guys are, a lot of our listeners are in parts of the world where there is timber. So, well, no, before we jump in, just uh, this, this everyone like, uh, there's very few people that e- even investors who who have tons of money who would just invest in land, they don't always just go there to sit on the property and let it appreciate over time. Usually, there's a plan. There's a way. Okay. In the meantime, while I'm holding this property, what can I do to make an additional return on the investment to make it more worthwhile in the long run? So, you know, this this podcast itself topic is applicable to everyone, us included, because we're always looking at ways that we can make more money while working land and doing so. Th- th- there's my tons and tons of ways to do this, but it's super applicable to everyone who's thinking about owning land. My uh, my upbringing has taught me the idea of having to make money off the ground. Um, it can't can't the, sit the idle. The idea can't of owning a piece of ground and not making money off of it is something that's very hard for me to comprehend. I I will I will never. <laughs> own one and not consider it. And and that's kind of where last week I, Tyler and I had a great discussion. That goes into the idea of the government owning land and not making money off of it, and where it's just a money pit. Same thing goes. We have to it's find like, ways on state ground, on, public, on national ground, to make money to where we can manage our public lands better. Um, it's like owning a Harley. It don't, it don't make you any money. It's just fun to do. It's yeah. just, you just keep putting money into it. But, you know, same thing with the property. There's there's people out there who do, and that's fine. But a lot of times we find ourselves in situations where, hey, I, what can I do to get something out of this as well? Yes. And that's so what leads us right here to this, this conversation. To number one, timber harvest. Um, timber harvesting is one of those things. It can go from one of our biggest money trees. It's walnuts. But then we go into a lot of oak uh, oak harvests. Um, then you can go down south and go into pine harvest, pine management, and not currently <laughs> in years all, past. All but. all those all of those type of harvests. Those are the main three that come to mind um, across the country uh, of being the the more income producing species uh, in on average. Um, at the same time, when you're cutting trees in most of the timber locations and the and timber landscapes, is if it's done with the proper management, you're greatly increasing the habitat as well. So landowners making money, improving the habitat, and making your land more productive. So if done correctly, you're not cutting the very best healthy trees and leaving the junky let's say air quote cancerous trees or disease trees to be your next generation you're trying to manage it in in an appropriate way to where you're making some money but you're you're still sending the tree productivity in the right direction um so there's a lot of young uh, 
young trees that are healthy, they're going to be the next generation. And because you've thinned the timber, they're growing much faster because they have more resources. They're healthier. Um, they're not they're stressed. They're healthier. There's a lot of research. Um, and, and I was thinking this week, we ought to just put somewhere on our website, like resources, some of our favorite articles that showcase a lot of the stuff we talk about. Because, I mean, Tyler and I went through a long list of of, of uh Sorry, I'm a little distracted. I, I see know. this man hauling a, uh, a U-Haul, and he is snaking it down the interstate. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> there's just a long list of thin, what thinning timber can do for the productiveness of the timber uh, in general. So managing the timber through a timber harvest, making money at the same time, improving the productivity of the land. And truthfully, now, too, doing it, like, like we talked about, doing it in a manner, though, that down the road there's a harvest for your children yeah, not going through and just completely depleting the resource itself, but managing it through the entire process. So there's another income down the road, you know, at a feasible time. So my idea has always been, if you do a timber harvest, follow up a TSI. That way, you know, there's a timber harvest coming sooner, but you're you're removing some of the competition that's that's coming in once you've mm-hmm. once you've cut that tree. Uh, so kind of some other ideas for a timber harvest to make money. Um, it's a little bit more niche uh, a little bit more depends on your region depends on the appropriate the person in your in your area is some other species that may be used for um, timber value um, for cutting and one of those being cedar trees eastern red cedars Um, we don't see it a lot across the landscape but there are certain pockets especially here in the ozarks where if you have a huge amount of big cedar trees people cut those for lumber so you can ha- probably find Mantle somebody pieces, in your area and it, like and, and it may be as the best way to do that is put an ad on craigslist or facebook marketplace advertising that you have timber you want somebody to cut because there's a good chance a logging op- a large logging operation doesn't want to come to jack with 20 acres of cedar trees you got to find somebody who's doing it probably on the weekends or um, kind of hitting a little niche market that's that's custom cabinets that are eastern red cedar um and and not all loggers foresters this and that are these large operations that have massive equipment like there's a lot of guys out there who have these smaller portable um sawmills things like that the small equipment that can handle and want to tackle the 20 30 uh acre pieces that a lot of the big guys they overlook so you're not you're not out of it, it even if you've got a let's say a smaller track or just a portion of a property that you want to do a given year. Another one comes to mind is hickories. Um, you know, hickory doesn't have a, a huge timber value um, in in the generally speaking in what we see, but at the same time, we see um, we and we have seen where there's been custom cabinet shops or custom. Um, cabinet producers that have a logging crew that go in to harvest hickories um, and in particular one of our clients made a really nice chunk of change by having his hickory logged by a a, a, a member of their community and uh, and it was like one of those where it's like you made cabinets. that much off hickories yep. and but he found the right guy so where there's a need they'll pay yes and so if you can you know, advertise Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist, wherever. Try to find those people if you have an abundance of, of hickories or cedars or whatever it is that's growing on your property. Don't know. I did see an article, oh, man, months ago where a guy was taking bush honeysuckle and he was cutting it and making it into, like, furniture by using large chunks of bush really? honeysuckle. I thought, boy, like that's... Spreading that's, arms and things like that's, that. That's yeah. interesting. That's. Uh, I, will, I will say this. With that avenue... When you're finding someone, ask for references, call the references, do your legwork, and long you're feeling good about it, I'd say move forward. Yeah. But do homework. So that pretty well wraps up timber harvest. Once again, make money, improve the habitat. It's a win-win. Just health of the overall ecosystem. Not even have to be, say, wildlife related. Just health of the trees. Some of the... uh, some of the last things we want to see on a landscape would be a monoculture of unproductive plants. So let's just say a monoculture of cool season grass, non-native cool season grass, uh, a monoculture of 
blank, whatever it ends up being. We, we don't like seeing monocultures. Another thing we do not like to see is closed canopy forest, um, where you're seeing just nothing but leaves and sticks below the trees. So timber harvest is a great opportunity to improve the landscape. And for the most part, in general, uh, when we're speaking on, on timber ground across the country, a majority of the property is made up of timber. So it's important to manage the timber. Um, moving into the next thing, obviously crops. Um, you know, if you're in crop country, this is a great way to make make uh, make income on your ground, tillable ground. How many acres are tillable? That's a big question we get asked on when we're in the real estate world uh, and we're going into areas that have crops. Buyers will say, "Well, how much is tillable?" And they might not be. They're not. Maybe they're not planning on planting it themselves, but they know they can rent it out and make some income. Yeah, then, then it's what's the average rental income, you know, tillable ground um, go for around here. We talked to a gentleman actually today on the on the way. He was in Iowa, and he's got great corn ground. He's talking 275 to $300 an acre in his neck of the woods for renting tillable ground. Over a large enough piece of property, that makes a difference. Yeah. A big one. <laughs> yeah. So crops, huge thing. Corn, soybeans are the ones that everybody thinks of, but it may be milo. Um, could be wheat, could be rice. Out in this country where they're at, it's canola. Um, it could be alfalfa. Sunflowers. Sunflowers. There's a whole long list of crops you could do. Um, one thing that that is kind of uh, very interesting you don't see a lot of is growers in native grass producers and, and yeah. native uh wildflower seed so like planting these areas that and it could and it might not even be large areas you know with our relationship pure natives they talk about their contract growers there's people that just grow natives and then harvest it the only difference is there's not combines to pick uh cardinal flower seeds it's a lot of by hand clipping uh, but they're they're doing pretty good on on smaller areas so if you have uh, smaller acreage. If it's uh, if you're looking at a landscape that or your farm doesn't have a huge vast, you know, you don't have several hundred acres. You maybe only have 40, but there's three acres that are open ground right next to the house. You don't want to do a food plot. Maybe growing natives um, is an opportunity for you. So don't be uh, don't be stuck in the box that you just have to. The Cro- only crops you can oh, grow right. is corn and soybeans. Right. There, there's more options out there. And yes. now, well, yeah. I won't go into that. And so taking that in from crops and going, okay, we're producing grain or some something else. Let's say hay crop. Um, That's you a could huge be planting. You know, we see that probably more than crop ground, I, I, I would think. In our given area where I grew up, the, the same thing. There's tons of hay fields, tons of cattle and horse, horse farms. And so that was the primary crop in our area. And so you've got... The idea of most of the hay ground you see is cool season hay. Um, and if that's what you're stuck to stuck with, there's ways that you can make money, improve the overall value of that hay, but at the same time help the wildlife out in a in a better better instance than just a cool season non native monoculture. So if you have tall fescue, smooth brome, um, orchard grass, incorporate alfalfa or red. red clover or some plantains there's other ways to, that you could add those to it maybe because you've added it to it and you've made better hay you can get more money if you're selling that hay um, or you could get more money if you're sharecropping that hay because you have better quality hay but at the same time you're including legumes and forbs that the wildlife like in particular white-tailed deer can eat um, so that's an option. Um, haying is not one of our favorites, but it's kind of one of those things you can't. There's no way around it really when it comes to it's across a lo- the country. Land use, tons um, of acres devoted to that. And so, hay ground you is you got to make it the option. best you can. <laughs> yeah, and so instead of just letting it be cool season grass monocultures, add some legumes or uh, forbs to that to where you have production production out of it uh, for the wildlife. Um, obviously, when it comes to hay, one of the best things is a mix of uh, a large majority in alfalfa. Um, especially in the horse world, equine world, you're going to get 
a lot more money out of alfalfa hay than you would tall fescue hay. And, and then it even goes into the um, thought of how are you baling it? The way you're, whether it's square bales, round bales, uh, like a silage bale, going into that depth, diversifying the way you bale it, when you bale it, how you bale it, how you store it, can drive differences in, in, in price as well. Yes. Um, so locally for me, I know a guy that still bales. You don't see a lot of square bales in this day and age. It's the small, small square bales that you got to buck and, and, and uh, haul wagon. like you did when you were growing up. And uh, there's a guy that specifically hit a market of equine, small hobby farm, homesteader farms that are buying these small bales of alfalfa hay from him, and, and it's been really productive for him. Um, you know, I had oh. another my, uh, another idea when we were talking about this when it comes to crops of how you can, you know, if you're in an area where you don't see huge combines um, for grain crop, but you could plant corn or try to plant soybeans, find somebody who's thinking outside the box to do uh, corn or soybeans for silage mm-hmm. um, yep. to where, you know, for for us, we don't see a lot of corn. We don't see hardly any in our county. But there are people that plant corn for silage, and so uh, that's something we did for a couple of years was plant these, uh, plant corn so we could have it harvested. And in, in, uh, he was cutting it when it was still green, and it was like August when he was cutting it for silage, so we had plenty of time to go back in with a cover crop. Um, so that's another idea is silage grain. You got anything else to add I was just going to say – even even goat farmers are, are looking at some supplemental feed like in in the hay and and if you consider that it, that doesn't have to be the best quality of ground or forages either i i mean yeah, that, that can be a, a step in the right direction of getting you know income off the land um by even mowing maybe year 1 a transition year um and, and feeding it just for 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 goat hay they they eat anything and everything you put in in, in front of them. So I'm, we're just throwing out bunches of different ways, but that's another um, portion that falls under haying that you could go into and consider if you have a bunch of goats around. Yep. Next one, grazing. What? You said grazing? How's that going to work? You're going to hear um, a lot more of that. So that. grazing is a great opportunity to uh, make some money on your farm. And if done correctly – and managed appropriately, we can improve the land as well as the health of the animal as well as more money in your wallet. Um, and it could be as simple as leasing it, leasing out your, uh, I about said CRP, <laughs> leasing out your um, native grass fields. If you have, you know, and you're in Oklahoma and you have a lot of native grass, um, specifically warm season grasses or You've created great bedding areas or, or five-acre fields of, of native grasses. You can lease those out for some summer grazing. Maybe you just send the cows through for two weeks, and then they're out of there and gives it plenty of time to recover and grow back tall. Um, that's one way. Uh, if you've got cover crop, let's say you have, you're in a crop field area and, some, and your farmer came back with cover crops, I guess if we step back and we say another way to make crop ground productive for landscape is including cover crops in that. But then a way that you can make some money on that is lease out the grazing on the cover crops for January through April. A couple of months whenever probably uh, there's not a whole lot to eat, but your cover crops are doing well. Um, That's a great opportunity to... Uh, make some money, and then at the same time, fertilize your ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and so don't overlook the power of grazing if done accordingly. Now, that's where it's going to get real particular about who you find to graze or the way you do it. But like we going, like, uh, going back a couple of weeks to our favorite, um, our dream farm, grazing was involved in both of those, in both mine and Matt's. And so uh, it's definitely something we'll have on our landscape it's definitely a way for us to make money on our landscape and it's definitely a way for us to improve the habitat going back to the uh podcast with kyle hedges 
Um, I'll certainly say this about, about grazing is it's dynamic. Just like the way you're talking about farming and the differences that you know, people produce hay, people graze a lot like differently. Not every cattle farm is a cow-calf operation. No. You know, the way people graze and the, the different producers out there utilize the ground differently, and truly it can complement a farm really well if it's done right. And it just takes research to find those producers out there. If you have something of the nature of cover crops or you have diverse cool season pastures or you have um, warm season uh, pastures that you can actually utilize them on, know what you have and find the right producer that can graze those and get you the money that you're looking for. It's not a one size fits all kind of thing uh, when it comes to cattle and comes to grazers and operators, producers. There's a lot of different options out there. Do your research on it. Know that it's a viable income that can complement properties. That's correct. So, uh, and and you can do this either as an owner of the ground or leasing it out. But once again, find find the 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 right person to graze the ground who understands your goals and the way you want to manage it. And through rotation is definitely the way that Most that preferred. you have to manage if you're trying to work with the wildlife. Um, next up, number four, is government contracts is a way to maybe not necessarily make money, but help offset a lot of the expenses that you're putting in on the farm. And, uh, and, tr- and if you're doing the work yourself, it's a way to make money. Yeah, and, and truthfully, there are some programs out there where you just enroll the property um, into a an, an We'll go into this in a little bit, but a a type of, if you will, temporary easement. And then you do get money back from that. But there's so many different types of government programs, and we've talked about them quite a bit um, and and talked about some landowners who have taken part in this. And if you're going to do the work, you should consider going through um, these type of programs because, right, you get paid to do what you're already going to do. That's That's a win-win. And, and again, if you're doing it, you might as well get paid in your pocket to do it. That helps offset lots of costs. So you've got CRP programs, (coughs) WRP, EQIP. That's some of the big ones. Like Mm -hmm. These are federal. um, WRP is another one for wetland reserve uh, program. And, And so you go in and you think about, Equip. There's all kinds of woodland restoration, savannah restoration. Uh, there's bobwhite quail initiatives. There's woodland initiatives. There's wetland restoration. There's all kinds. Crep was another big and one. And there you go. Um, you need to talk with the government agency in your area, um, whether that's USDA Soil and Water or a state agent, um, to help you along the way. Uh, and that's where it comes down to you to find the guy in your area your county that can help you enroll in these programs mm-hmm. there's invasive species removal so if you're already having the to remove the invasives it's an opportunity to talk with these people to see if there's a way you can get some of the money back mm-hmm. um, so don't overlook the power of the government uh, government contracts to help to help you on your landscape next up and this is the one that you said we're going to talk about in a second is conservation yeah. easements. Yeah, th- this one is it's really, really dynamic. And there's so many different entities out there that could do a conservation easement and have a vast majority of or vast uh, spectrum, if you will, of what a conservation easement entails. Um, it changes from, again, the entity doing it. But basically what you're doing is is selling off the ability for some developmental rights to carry with the property. And so you're restricting the ability for development to occur for the life of the property. It carries with the property. So if you sell off these conservation easements or the the rights to develop it in a conservation easement, the next owner has to abide by the conservation easement that are with the, the land. So there's huge benefits if you know down the road that you're maybe a lifelong owner of this property and you don't want to ever see it get developed you can sell off those it will enroll in conservation easement sell off the developmental rights and at that point you get a lot of money back in your pocket it's again it's variable 
um, what you get back per acre. But in some areas, wow, it can be shocking. But also at the same time, you have to know you're giving up the, the potential, the right, and that will decrease the overall value of the land because it's restricted. However, if, you, if you're going to hang on to it, man, it, 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 it could be worthwhile. It yeah, could be worth it, your time. And, and keep in mind, there is all kinds of companies that will, that will enroll your property into conservation easements. Mm-hmm. There's some really, really, really bad ones, and there's some really, really good ones. Yeah. And so it's you really have to f- make sure you find the one that has the same ideas as you and is, is isn't confining you to something you may regret for the life for the rest of your life. And so what I would do is is at this point if you're interested in something like that is to definitely hire someone who knows how to read them and knows what you're signing up for, maybe a real estate attorney or a lawyer or have a have someone who's already developed a, a plan for your property and make sure that, okay, you can still execute this plan, but then enroll it in a conservation easement. You don't want to handcuff yourself, you know, when you have goals for a property, but by the same time, you know, these programs, again, are on a spectrum. So find the one that fits for you, and it's it's a viable option for getting money back or earning money on a property that you own. That's right. So... We're actually going to be in Georgia we, in the up, upcoming weeks um, on, a, on a large property that's under conservation easements. And it's just finding, you know, understanding the bounds in which you can work in and executing the plan from that. And you were on Kevin Waring's property yeah. in Maryland that had yep. some conservation easements. He was on, on you it. interviewed him on this podcast. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, right. <laughs> you know, he's finding ways to be able to utilize the land, not restrict him. But it made that property affordable for him and his family. That's right. So another one, another opportunity, is obviously isn't for everybody, but uh, oil and mineral rights. Um, yeah. Especially out here in the we're country right we're in the heart at. of it right now. Yeah. Going uh, through Oklahoma City. Selling out the oil and mineral rights. That's yep. another option where you could actually make some pretty good money depending on the year um, and depending on the property. So, I mean... Th- you wouldn't maybe think of it, but you know we're we're talking places in West Virginia, Kentucky. We're talking Ohio, uh, Pennsylvania. If there's something of value underneath the ground that people are after, if all you're worried about is the ground, you know, what's on your feet and above, <coughs> consider the mineral rights and selling those off if they if they uh, carry with the land that you've purchased or you own. Not a bad thought. That's right. And, Next and thing, I was gonna say, typically, if you do it right too, you can retain. You know, you you will keep some ownership of it, um, and, and get a check to the landowner um, for some of the middle rights. You know, if you've leased them out or if you sell them, if you're leasing them, you can still get a check. Um, it's not just a one lump sum payment for selling out mineral rights. So there's multiple ways to look at it. That's correct. And so then the next one would be renting. And this kind of covers a lot of the things we've already talked about, but with a few extra things we haven't talked about. So renting could be renting out the the crop ground, renting Mm -hmm. out the grazing rights, uh, but also it could be as simple as renting out some of the hunting rights. Yeah. If you're a diehard deer hunter, and this is where it comes down to, to me, is going, okay, how serious am I am about needing to make money off this property? You could, maybe you sell a deer hunt or two, but probably a better option would be if you're a diehard deer hunter and you could care less about the turkey hunting, lease out the turkey hunting rights during the time of the year, three weeks out of the year that there's somebody in there um, hunting. That's a pretty good option. Yeah, there's people out there who'll do that for sure. And take and, up on that. And offer. I know we definitely have to have somebody on the on the podcast about this, but the difference in showing that you're trying to make some money and just a rec farm. It can really help you on your taxes. So, oh, absolutely. Um, it's definitely something to do. Or out in western part of the world, um, you have the ability to rent out water rights mm-hmm. or sell off water rights. And so um, that that's huge in, in uh, New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, Nevada, where water is very limited these days. Texas, if you have a property that's got water, 
you have you're sitting on a gold mine. For sure. So, water rights. Next up, and this is one that's really yeah, may not be for you, but it's definitely an option is um, solar turbines, cell towers. You can do rentals or sell off portions or or do long-term contracts. Um, not a huge fan of the turbine idea, but it is an option. Um, solar is really coming on in our part of the world, seeing more and more of it. So if you have a portion of the farm that would qualify for solar, um, and it's kind of one of those areas that you're not sure what to do with, or you're like, I don't really want to jack with cows, solar might be an option for you. At the same time, uh, Matt and I talked about this just the other day, but there's some solar companies that are incorporating instead of just putting up solar in a in a fescue pasture they're incorporating native pollinators to where they're very productive for uh, a lot of our insects mm-hmm. um, low maintenance uh, but also you're, you're very not, you're productive. not mowing in and around the panels and this and that and usually the property has got to be positioned uh, very strategically next to um, That's right. power storage facilities um, or good southerly exposures and same thing with wind. You have the ability to either store it close by or be perched up on a hill, this and that. But it's it's something, you know, again, this, this podcast is for anybody who owns land. So, you know, these are viable options for lots of different people. Um, but, you know, again, applicable to some people who've got the right property that's positioned and, you know, at the right place. For sure. Can't overlook everything. Yeah. And, and I guess with that being said... If you're a cattle farmer listening to this podcast, there's a great opportunity to, to lease off the hunting rights. Oh, um, yeah. If you're in a great area, you could really make some nice money. Call us if a, you got a good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if uh, yeah, we could we could be your broker on uh, on finding the right hunting uh, the hunting uh, property or the hunting lease leasee. Um, yeah, that pretty well wraps up um, these ideas. You know, Matt, we've talked so much in the past about incorporating different ones you know the timber harvesting as a habitat management technique as a way to make money um we talk a lot about grazing here recently um and probably a lot more in the future uh the government contracts we've talked a lot on but i I, think this is the first time we devoted an entire podcast to ways to make money to hopefully help landowners figure out ways to make their because the last thing we want them to do is have to sell a farm because they can't figure out how to pay for it yeah Exactly, and honestly, that that ties back into you know consulting on a property. You know, what are we looking at? What are, what do you need for the property? Um, but ultimately, again, like you said, we don't we want to utilize the property and make it the most beneficial it can be from a recreational standpoint, from an enjoyment standpoint, or from an income standpoint. Whatever your goals you have with the property, there are ways to execute them good ways and bad ways, short-term ways or long-term ways, and here's some options to make income off the property. Not all are going to be applicable for you, but um, you know, certainly worth keeping an open mind when you look at, okay, I need to get X off the property every single year to help make this you know, purchase a little more comfortable on my wallet or just um, make my wife at home more happy with me, <laughs> whatever it may be. But um, these these are some of the top top things that come to mind when you're looking at okay how do I how do I get money back into my pocket after I've paid for a property? Yes. So in a nutshell, um, and I'll run through them again and kind of get hit the high points, hit the negatives. Timber harvesting, obviously, great way to make some money, improve the habitat, make and uh, really Im- overall um, change the whole landscape of your property if you are in timber country. What you want to do, consult with a forester and make sure your timber harvest meets your objectives and it's not a cut the best, leave the rest type of program. Next up would be crops. If you're planting corn or soybeans, a great way to keep it productive um, and incorporate other ways to make money would be adding cover crops and then trying to graze out those cover crops um, late winter, early spring. Um, that could be either with your cattle or through leasing it out to a neighbor. Um, gra- hay would be another way. Um, of obviously, one of the best choices is a high, high rate of alfalfa. Uh, but if you are cool season, incorporate alfalfa, red clovers, um, even plantains. Try to, try to add diversity. Um, 
grazing. Obviously, if you're in cattle country, if you own the cows or you want to lease out the grazing rights, that's a great way to make some money. Government contracts through a lot of the work you're doing. If you are doing the work yourself, here's a way to get paid for it. If you can enroll in some of these government contracts, consult with the person in your county to help you do that. Conservation easements, um, kind of sell off a portion of your property as far as uh, what you can do with it. So a popular one is you're selling off the commercial rights to where long term um, you're not going to put in a bunch of condos or uh, subdivision um, and you're kind of getting paid for that agreement that you're not that you're not going to do that. Um, there's a lot of different conservation easements. Um, so and there's a lot of different companies that do that. So find the right one, check references, check with people that are enrolled with that company. Uh, the Nature Conservancy is one of those that comes to mind. Oil and mineral rights is another option. Um, and then renting in general, if you want to rent out the cattle rights, the crop rights, um, hunting rights, whatever it is. Um, and then another one, uh, water rights is a, a way to make money, especially if you're out west. I don't know, nothing comes to mind in the eastern part of the world that would, that would have that ability. Um, I know some guys that would sure love to sell water um, this, oh. this fall because of all the rainfall they had, but probably not going to be able to sell it. <laughs> I can't believe we forgot about this. Oh, ginseng hunters. Ginseng hunters, yeah. Oh, and we also we, we need to mention uh, natives uh, again for the crops. If you want to be a native grass producer or a native pollinator producer, you can, you can plant those seeds and then harvest the seed, uh, harvest from the plant that grows up and sell the seeds. Uh, another thing we did mention was... Uh, I think you did mention that. I did, but not in this wrap-up, in the oh, nutshell okay. wrap-up. Yeah. Another thing was the civil pa- pastures where people are incorporating yeah. trees... Um, so we drove through some here. Appropriately place trees that have either potential for um, income themselves. We saw a big pecan plantation. That's but right. But then cattle were grazed underneath of that. Talk about multi-use on every acre. You've got uh, nut-producing trees uh, that are producing annually. And at the same time, those same acres are putting weight on cattle and selling cattle off those same acres. Pretty um cool concept it's a little different to look at because it's like evenly spaced trees but there's still enough sunlight so grass grows underneath them um but yeah that's a and there's new government programs i believe there's stuff in the farm bill about the new farm bill about uh trying to get more of this agroforestry yes uh done and on the landscape so don't overlook that um and i think that's solar turbines and cell towers uh i've got a funny story for you I know a guy, um, the cell tower one, um, I believe it was AT&T, had, he had set up a deal where they were going to put in a cell tower, and he was going to make some really, really good money. Like, yeah. so much money that he had already kind of started spending it in his head. Oh, no good. And they had started doing all the dirt Cash work check. Ooh, and uh, getting things ready, and they... Uh, Found Native American artifacts. Gone. Pulled the plug out. Nope, not doing that. And so he had all this dirt work done, and then they just left him. And so it was not not great for him. The new boat was not (laughs) going to be purchased. Um, So anyway, uh, that pretty well wraps up our our ideas of uh, ways to make money. Um, Do you have anything to add before we jump into this this uh, property that we want to highlight? If you guys have questions on properties... Whether whether this is a wise property to purchase um, or whether you need assistance purchasing it, we are available. We'd be happy to help um, in any capacity. Let us know. Email us, uh, email us at info at landlegacy.tv. Um, you'll be hearing more about this topic. But, you know, we're, we're out here as a resource to help you guys. Um, you know, don't know everything, but we know... Uh, the right people to be able to call if we don't have the answer. So, um, guys, if, if you're interested or, or find yourself in a situation, let us know. Again, we're, we're happy to help. There you go. So, highlighting a property. This is a property that um, we don't have listed, but it's out of our office, and it's, and it's one of those things that where we're located and because of what we do um, – it's a really cool 
opportunity. Um, so I'm uh, la- this week actually. We interview follow, coming up is going to be Mr. Adam Hayden with Whitetail Properties out of Ohio, and um, he talks a little bit about the land values, what the land costs in his area. Um, for us, the land more from a recreational side with him. Oh, I, we went through every one okay, of them. Gotcha. crop, cattle, yep. uh, timber, and then rec. Um, for us, land prices in the Ozarks are a lot a lot lower than a lot of places that uh, a lot of places in the country. Overlooked uh, and underutilized. And and it's because we have not much crop value. It's mostly cattle ground, and it's not great cattle ground because it's a lot of rolling hills. Um, the timber is can be good, but it can be poor. Um, it's just a kind of a diverse landscape, but like, so for Matt and I, we'll throw out some prices we've seen on ground that is, uh, very abused, been cut over pretty hard, but is starting to grow up and it, there's a lot of wildlife on it, a lot of quail and a lot of uh, deer. Uh, we're seeing it less than, I mean, we saw some that was under $700 an acre. Um, and, and uh, on average, that we're one, seeing that it, one was in conservation easements too. Yes. So that that's a perfect example of hey conservation easements lowers the value yes restricts what you could do but six hundred dollars an acre are you kidding me yeah other ones that have and been five hundred forty acres yeah other ones that have been um, cut over oh, hard cut over, we've yeah. seen it eight hundred eight nine hundred um, we see gr- we find ground that's less than a thousand bucks an acre and I can think of a couple that come to mind right now that are less than a thousand bucks an acre mm-hmm. but good hunting ground where it's you've got decent trees and it's some scattered open small openings uh, could even I mean the highest part of that may be 1400 um, or 1500 depending on the, the area cattle ground is uh, 2000 to 2500 wouldn't you yeah. agree with me on that yeah. Matt and then of course we don't have ca- uh, we don't have crop ground hardly but the highest we see ground in our area that's just farm ground is upper Two thousands an acre. Twenty eight is is about uh, twenty eight to three. It's definitely got prime prime pasture and some bottom land to plant. But and so we don't that we don't we don't touch three very often. Not very often. When it does, we're like, holy cow, somebody did it! Oh my golly, they did it! (laughs) Um, And so, or it sits on the market for a long time. (laughs) Um, Or yeah, has no business being there. Yeah, and and uh, so anyway. um, With that being said. We recently there's a property listed, um, soon to be listed. It's on. Un- we have authorization to show right now. Um, that is a nice piece of ground, and it's 354 acres. And it actually um, is listed just over 1,400 an acre, and it is a great mixed landscape. That has some really, really cool features on it. Um, if you backtrack Google Earth in 1994, there was large field, large mm-hmm. hay fields that now are starting to grow up. So there's scattered cedars, pretty good populations of cedars, unfor- eastern red cedars, unfortunately. But a lot of natives trying to creep in, um, a lot of American plum thickets. It's... Uh, the word that comes to mind, in, and it's been, it's right now it kind of looks a little rough because there has been horses on it and there is horses on it. Um, but at the same time, there's still tons of brambles, tons of plum thickets, a lot of natives coming up. Um, but it's very much a, uh, got a lot of bucky, and I put that in air quotes, you've heard the term probably, bucky habitat. Fields that look very bucky, kind of that grown up, early secession, thickets to where you just have that feeling that good deer are going to show up. This property has that in a, in a large scale. There's also an, uh, a creek that runs through it. It's not far from the Gasconade River. Um, and it's got some pretty good deer in the area and on this farm. Um, it's just a, a really nice piece of ground that I think uh, anybody who's looking for a hunting property or a a place to kind of, it's got a house on it and barn. I forgot to mention that. Uh, older house. Um, it could, be, could a, be a, a great co- hunting cabin. Right. There's a gravel road that splits part of the property. There's 80 on the west side and the rest is on the east side. And it 
definitely has a uh, lot of access to it. Uh, a creek going through it that's it's kind of a wet weather creek. When I was there, it was it was five foot high um, in places, but we just had a lot of rain. But uh, the guy who currently uh, hunts there shared with me that it's it's down and dry during uh, deer season a lot, so you have access to walk if you're hunting close to the creek. You can maneuver through it. Um, but high, it's just high a, banks, so you can kind of sneak through the property, right? That's right, high mm. banks, and uh, but also you could include some great trails throughout the property. There's already some on a on a majority of it, um, but you could add more trails to just make great fire breaks and really improve the habitat. Uh, take care of some of those cedars. R- real uh, quick, I, I, if a guy says, "Man, that sounds nice. I like the price uh, where it stands right now." Give a quick recap of of Basically, the next steps, what the next two years would look like to turn it into a great, great recreational property, hunting uh, property. So, year one, I would go in and spray out the cool season non-natives, the fescue that's been there for years and years and years. And pretty simple application with UTV, some glyphosate during a certain time of the year. Um, and I would knock that out and try to burn it. So, if I was on it tomorrow, I would be prepping for probably later this month or in April I would be spraying out the cool season grasses and then trying to burn it uh, two Mm -hmm. weeks later. Um, That would be first year. Second year I would go in and uh, I would try to cut a lot of the cedars and do some heavy uh, TSI um, just to create some bedding thickets, improve some habitat, make it a little bit more thick, even more thick um, than it already is, and then uh, and just keep preparing and and improving my food plot acres. Mm-hmm. Currently, there is not a single food plot on the whole place um, just because of the horses that roam around on the farm. But they could easily be there. Oh, if, easily. If, yeah, I yeah. mean, there was a one field that I went to that was right next to the creek mm-hmm. that you could have easily planted a, I mean, a five-acre food plot or four-acre oh, wow. food plot. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's multiple areas to put in food plots uh, just off offhand i bet you 20 acres i saw that could have been turned into food plots Um, pretty this first year have done that um and so it's it's got great i mean the foundation is there got good bones it's (laughs) got a great foundation to this first year to already have great great Mm -hmm. hunting Uh, already tons of turkey signs tons of deer sign trails everywhere Uh, even with the horses that's what's amazing to me horses are one of the worst things when they're when they're allowed just to roam, they're one of the hardest Don't things. Step to on man- too many toes now. When it when it coming <laughs> from hunting, it's yeah. so hard to to manage around horses or cattle that are just roaming. That's very true. Um, and so it's definitely one of those things to uh, if the horses were removed and you go in and you plant your food plots. Oh man, this is going to be a jam up in the words of Seth Harker yeah. property. So yeah. shoot us an email at info at landandlegacy.tv if you want to hear more about that farm. Um, if you're looking for a great farm to hunt in Missouri and you don't want to pay the northern Missouri prices, shoot us an email, and I promise you this might be your property. Wink, wink, nod, nod. And we there can, is the opportunity to include another 200 acres right next to it for less true. than 1000 bucks an acre. So you could yes. have over 500 acres, um, and I think an average land price around 1200 something like that, yep. um, with a house and barn and everything you need to store And there's gear. good deer on it right now, and we are in that neck of the woods neighborhood to help out whether um, it's how to, how to manage those resources, the farm, this and that. Um, so we will uh, treat you right when it comes to um, the next steps on the farm. So anyhow, yeah, got questions, info at landlegacy.tv. All right, there you have it for Love Land Podcast. Another one in the books. I don't even know. We're up to close to 15 on this, and I enjoy these just because it's so – Whatever. It's it's broad, um, and I love the response that uh, we hear from people, um, the different properties that we can talk about, the different ways we can share and enjoy land. Uh, you know, we hear from farmers, we hear from producers, we hear from hunters, we hear from fishermen. Uh, the opportunities and possibilities are absolutely endless, and that's what I love about it. A couple it. people wrote in this past week. I'm going to share a couple of them, but this guy asked, what can I plan around a field edge to screen from roads? I'd like something perennial, low-maintenance, tall and thick, preferably non-invasive. It's 500 linear yards. 
I love that he said non-invasive because yep. that's an important, important thing to note whenever we're talking about planting screens. There's so many non-native invasive uh, species that a lot of people just go right to, and that, yeah. that's not your best option. He said non-native, so eastern red cedar out. A lot of times people are planting eastern red cedars for screens, and it can be if you're planting eastern red cedar – um, and you want something non-invasive? Yeah, you 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 done became a hypocrite um, because eastern red cedars do have the invasive mentality and uh, can take over um, areas if left uh, unmanaged. Just a quick clarification: you accidentally said non-native. Oh, or okay. out. You me- he meant non-invasive. Non-invasive, yes, because eastern red cedar are native, um, but they are invasive in a lot of landscapes yes um so also here's one that is becoming popular giant miscanthus gigantus and um it's it's air quote sterile um but so was the bradford pear um the bradford pear was considered sterile when we first started planting it and then years later we found out uh uh-oh it's not we hope that the same thing is not true with miscanthus gigantus but there are better options that are native. Um, some of those coming to mind is a mix of, a mix of switchgrass. Um, because it does stand up better during the winter months than some of the other native grasses, like little blue stem wouldn't be a great option for the fact that it's not as tall as what we're looking for. But... What stands better than grasses a lot of times is some sort of woody structure. So incorporating American plums or gray dogwoods in rough leaf dogwood in a in a row um, that then you have native grasses right next to it to where you have the best of both worlds. Um, another option, I mean, Mr. Seth Harker has a pretty good screen of shortleaf pines and red buds. Yep. Uh, very, it looks <laughs> really awesome from the road, especially during the spring. Um, and then you could do a row of uh, native grasses next to that as well and get all kinds of great stuff. Um, so those are all great options. Um, and definitely keep in mind on the controlling the natives. That's uh, controlling the invasives. I mean, um, one guy sent us in a picture of late, great late season bedding, and it's over a hundred acres of native grasses and woody, woody species. There's even oh some scattered God. short, short cedar trees, which I'm not against right there in that application because, by golly, they're going to get burned up in the next fire anyway. Um, so I'm not that mad at them. Um, Another guy wrote in once again. He said um, he's a landscaper. Yeah. He owns a landscaping business, and he's trying to figure out how to get native grasses on – or get natives into the landscaping business. I like that. Hats off to you, sir. There are – I can think of a few cool season – or one cool season comes up, Creeping Red Fescue is a native. Um and then a native warm season that's a turf grass is buffalo grass. My only fear with buffalo grass, and this is something that's on my agenda for in my life in the next few years, hopefully as my wife and I build a house, is I want to create a completely native landscape um, around you the house. Like around the yard. yard. Around, the, around the yard. Because one of the biggest frauds in our lifetime has been the landscape turf industry for yards. Um Non-native grasses planted, mowed constantly in a monoculture. There's no pollination that really occurs, and there's no water infiltration that can really occur because there's not great root systems. It's minimal. And then at the same time, um, we dump all kinds of chemicals on it to try and kill out the weeds, and we have to put fertilizers and lime on it to keep it productive. To me, it's it's one of those things, like, if it's not productive, if we have to do all this work to keep it productive, let's go another option. And uh, that's definitely that's definitely something that uh, I want we'll to, to do. We'll to do so, some testings. Um, buffalo grass, really awesome native turf grass, kind of. It's, it's a shorter grass. Um, 
And so anyway, uh, those are a couple questions that came in this week. And we're trying to maneuver around, find the hotel, and not get slammed into the car uh, as Matt's driving and trying to find the hotel. So, anyway, that wraps us up this week. Hopefully, you guys enjoy. Shoot us a message. Leave us a review, please, on Insta- or Instagram, on iTunes, um, Land and Legacy, um, RSS feed. And we will catch you guys next week. See ya.